Good afternoon. Welcome to the Mid-Hudson Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous Light a Candle special event for November. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive eater and your leader today. After a moment of silence, will all those who wish please unmute and join me in the serenity prayer. God, uh, grant me serenity, me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, change courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Here are the 12 steps as adopted for Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Number 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. The tradition of the month for November is tradition 11, which is our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. This light a candle meeting takes its name from the proverb, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Through shared experience, strength, and hope, we seek to shine a light through the darkness of our illness onto the spiritual path to recovery. Today's topic, in honor of International Day Experiencing Abstinence, or IDEA, focuses around using the big book chapter, The Doctor's Opinion, as a guide for in identifying our alcoholic foods and behaviors in order to define our abstinence and create a food plan. This chapter comes before the first, 600, the first 164 pages in the big book, a chapter zero, if you will, which is appropriate since if we have to put down the food to start working the steps, then putting down the food is step zero. To speak on this chapter is our own Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Melissa C. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, everybody. I'm really honored and it's a privilege to get to talk about this um, chapter today. And um, so, uh, yeah, this is, the, this is the preface, right? This is what comes before um, the instructions. And 
someone reminded me today, and reminded me today that, um, you know, I had said one time, and this is the truth, that when I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was given a big book. And the first thing I did was I ruffled through the pages trying to find the diet in there. And I didn't find it, you know. Um, and I shoved it in a drawer. And what I did was I wound up worshiping a food plan that I was also given that day. But had I really um, been, you know, maybe open and maybe guided, I actually would have found the food plan. It was just in the beginning of the book before the pages get numbered. And, you know, I would never bother to read things that came before the numbered pages anyway. So um, maybe I was directed and I just didn't see it. So um, yeah, this chapter is really important and it comes before, um, before we can do the work. So just to give you like a little background of me before I delve into the topic, um, my name is Melissa C. I am a recovered uh, compulsive overeater. I live in Hudson Valley in New York, which if you're visiting from another area, is a beautiful, beautiful part of New York State. We're not in the city, um, but we're accessible, somewhat accessible, just far enough away that we have our own piece of heaven right here. It's really beautiful. And um, I've grown up uh, all my life. I've been a compulsive overeater. I have struggled um, with eating, with food, with diets, with weight. Um, and I always walked around from the time I was a very little girl, hungering, this never satisfied feeling. And I, I often share this, um, this idea that no matter what was put in front of me, my eyes always looked just beyond my plate to what other people had on theirs or what was still left in the box. Um, I never got satisfaction from what was in front of me. I just always experienced food differently, I think, than my, than my peers, differently than my siblings, certainly, because they could have normal sized portions put in front of them on a plate and they looked like they were happy with it. Sometimes they would leave it over. Um, but my experience was, you know, my mother would buy a beautiful cake every Friday. We lived in the proximity of a famous bakery. And my mother would buy a beautiful cake, wait online Friday to serve us this cake. And before my piece was cut, I knew my piece wasn't enough. And, um, you know, and if you've experienced food that way, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you're probably not at this meeting because <laughs> you're doing something else on your Sunday, um, but needing to, but needing to um, discuss recovery. And, um, you know, my problem was um, I had an allergy, right? I have a very severe allergy and I didn't know it. And I lived with people who didn't have the same allergy as me, nor did they have this form of insanity that told them they didn't have the allergy. You know, that's the double port of my problems. So my parents lovingly tried to moderate my eating and it didn't work. It didn't work. It just led to constant struggle, constant battle. Um, and I always felt um, bad about the way that I ate and yet unable to do anything different. So, um, and I don't live that way anymore, right? I don't live that way anymore. Um, I don't eat those foods at all anymore, nor do I want to. 
right? And that's just nothing short of a miracle. That is a miracle. And just to sort of, you know, show you where I've been and what, what, what this disease did to me and where I've been all over. Thanks. You, you got it, girl. Amy's, Amy's like my uh, second, second in command. This is me. These are photos of me. There's the one of me in the denim shirt. I just given birth to my daughter. Um, wow. There's, yeah, there's me. Uh, I think it's called Midwest. What? Somebody's uh, unmuted. Thanks. Awesome. And then there's me, you know, with my daughter when she was little. I clearly, I gained more weight after that pregnancy. You could say I got bigger. Um, and then there's me and my husband. I think I was dieting at that point. We were in a Mexican restaurant. Um, and in fact, I remember that I was like going to suffer through that meal. And I don't think I lasted suffering through the meal. I think I picked something up. In the red shirt, I'm at, um, we had a party at my house. I certainly don't look like I'm celebrating. I look a mess. Um, I don't think, I don't think a brush touched my hair that day, you know, um, because that's what happens to me when I eat compulsively. You know, I, I, I stopped taking care of myself. You know, brushing my teeth becomes difficult. Brushing my hair becomes bothersome, um, you know? And then there I am in the green shirt. We were on vacation at that point. I had lost some weight. I was, I was abstinent, I felt good. And I know I picked up a drink on that vacation. Um, <clears throat> and that was it, all bets were off. It was 10 months of extreme eating and I gained everything back pretty much that I had lost at that point. There again, there is us at a restaurant, <laughs> my daughter. <laughs> um, we ate at restaurants all the time. That's what we did for entertainment. You can go to the next one, um, the next slide. In the black dress there with a couple of women that I work with, I was already, believe it or not, I was already recovered. My body was in the midst of transforming. I was entirely abstinent. It was a buffet function for work and I was entirely abstinent there. I weighed and measured my food at that buffet and I had freedom. I actually remember really enjoying that event, showing up and being happy to be there. Um, next to it, I'm in that leopard sweater. That was one of the few things that fit us. It was New Year's Eve. Certainly again, I didn't look, I didn't look like I was out for New Year's. That might be, that was my son. He was uh, not at two at the time. He was like a year and a half, a little over a year. He's 13 today. Um, so that just gives you some, you know, point of reference in time. In the gray dress, I was recovered, but I was still in the process of losing my weight. That was at my daughter's boss mitzvah. She was 13 um, at the time. And um, that was six years ago. Right? That was six years ago. Within a short amount of time, I was at the weight I am now, like from that picture. I'm with my sisters in the green holding a drink. Um, I felt awful next to my sisters. They were normal. They were thin. They were normal. Um, and every event, I just felt embarrassed for the way that I looked, you know, not feeling a part of, but feeling apart from. And um, there's me with my two kids. Uh, I was already losing weight at that point, not at my worst, brushing my hair, putting myself together. And um, you can go to the next one. <laughs> uh, 
And that's currently what I look like. That's, that's the size I am today. That's um, where I am today. The picture in the yellow dress with my mom goes back. It's about almost five years ago, four and a half, five, five. I think it's about five years at that point. And I've worn that dress repeatedly. I, you know, that dress, I can wear it again and again. In the black dress, I wore that um, four years ago. And that was me again this summer. So that that's what it means to be relieved. And I get, yeah, thank God I get to live in a normal sized body. And then on the next page, I just want you to sort of see the lengths that someone like me has to go to. This is what often is in my refrigerator, those little baggies ready to go because my disease requires that I, um, then I plan and I prepare and I protect. And that salad underneath um, is generally what I bring to people's houses when I'm invited. And I'm not sure what they're serving, but if I make a salad like that, I don't feel embarrassed or ashamed. It's not like I'm eating my little thing separate and I'm, I'm uh, you know, something bizarre, but I show up with a gorgeous salad that I'm happy to present to people. And I throw, for me, I throw like a, a little can of salmon in my bag in case there's no protein for me. I know I'm good. And maybe a fruit, you know, um, thanks. And that's, so that's sort of, you can, you can, um, you can shut them off. Thank you. So that's sort of like a little indication of what this talk is going to be about. And, um, so this specific workshop, it's going to be on the doctor's opinion and how this chapter can help a fellow identify their alcoholic foods and then use this information to create a food plan. And so let's dive into this idea of alcoholic foods, right? And define for the purpose of our talk today, specifically what that, what does that mean, right? My alcoholic foods. Um, and I'll talk about the foods a little bit first, and then I will also bring the behaviors into. Um, first of all, an alcoholic food is a food that has something in it or something about it that sets off a very unique and a powerful physical response. Okay, It's also a behavior that does the same thing. There's something about it that sets off this weird response in me that I have no ability to control. It, it's, it's, I take it in, I do it, and I can't dial it back. Um, and what we often heard that it's called, we often hear that it's an allergic food, right? A binge food, or people say it's a trigger food, right? Those are the, the common, those are the common words. And we could use them intermittently. We can we can use one for the other. And basically, it's something that I cannot eat in moderation. It's something I cannot do moderately. Um, and once I start, I continue until I'm either sick, interrupted, or it runs out, right? Those are the only ways it ends for me. Um, now I could eat it and I am owned by it in my head. I might, mod I might sometimes be able to moderate those things for this amount of time, but I have no peace. It's owning, you know, every third thought in my brain is on whatever it was. Um, and so I am relying on white knuckling. I am like hanging on by my fingernails. Um, and then eventually I give in, 
eventually I have no choice but to give in. Um, alcoholic foods are the ones that I need to be willing to put down entirely, entirely, one day at a time. If I'm eating these foods, I am owned by them and I will have no peace, no serenity and no connection with my creator or the people around me. These were the foods that nearly brought me to ruin. And yet I did not want to let go of them. That's the crazy part of it. They were killing me. They were ruining my entire life, but the idea of putting them down entirely sounded extreme and ridiculous, right? So why should I let go of them, right? Why? And will this really work, right? So if we look at the big book right here in the doctor's opinion, XXV, the first paragraph, convincing testimony, right? It talks about convincing testimony must surely come, right? From medical men who've seen our sufferings. Now I'm not a medical man, right? I'm not a medical person. So I'm gonna present it from a different angle, but who have witnessed our return to health, right? And so convincing testimony is the witnessing of people's return to health, which is why I shared my pictures, because that's what I want. I want you to be able to see it. That's my testimony. Um, I'm here to demonstrate, right? By my return to health, that this really, really does work. It really, 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 really does work. And I have put my alcoholic foods down entirely then worked the 12 steps. And I'm here to demonstrate, right? One through my demeanor, right? My smile, it's genuine. My physical form, my size, um, my normal body size and my transformed personality. That's what, that's what bears witness. Um, you know, it's, I'm not here bitter. I'm not, cause I've been there before too. I've shown up at things then, but boy, I was bitter. I was mad and smiling was not something I could do, right? I was so pissed off. That's not, that's not a demonstration. That's not the witnessing of a return to health. Um, you know, and so entire abstinence is not only possible, but it is a beautiful gift. That's what I want to say. It's a beautiful gift and not something that I have to suffer through and count down like a prison sentence. I don't need to mark it down on my calendar how many days I've been abstinent because I'm not suffering through it. Um, it's not something I need to grit my teeth and bear. Rather, it is a gift. And, and I want to tell you, it's the entry point, the doorway into a relationship with my creator. It's, it's the doorway. It's what first gets us in the door so that we can have a relationship with a power greater than ourselves, which is what we need, which is what I need. In the second paragraph, right, in the doctor's opinion, there's a letter and it says, to whom it may concern. And I want to tell you, for me, and I would suggest for you, write your name there. Cross that out and write your name. Mine says, dear Melissa, you know, this letter concerns me and I read it like it's written to me. It, this chapter needs to be read as if it's speaking right to you and not in a ther theoretical manner, but in a practical one, in, a, in one that you can use, apply. Um, 
in the third paragraph, it says a competent businessman, right? Competent businessman, good earning capacity, and still regarded as hopeless. So um, you can be competent, still have a job, have a nice family, pay your mortgage, and be hopeless, right? And that that's, and I think especially true for compulsive overeaters. We generally don't tend to get DWIs, right? We don't lose our licenses. We don't lose custody of our children. So we walk around thinking this isn't so serious. This isn't such a big deal. Um, but it, for me, it ate me, it ate me up on the inside out. So I could still go to, go to work and I could still pay my mortgage and my kids' clothes were still clean, but I was still hopeless. Um, and that's the difference, I think, why sometimes it's so difficult for people in a way to really understand just how serious this is because their life doesn't fall apart in quite the same way. It's a very slow boil. Um, and um, I know someone who says, it's like being kicked to death by a bunny rabbit. And that, that I think is a great, um, that is not something I coined, that is not a phrase I coined, but I wrote it down to me, it's like, it really explains what this is. Um, so, and then it goes on to say that um, this is a possible means of recovery. And um, it's part of our rehabilitation that we present this conception to other alcoholics, uh, impressing upon them they must do likewise with still others, um, and that we've recovered. Right, so that's why I'm here today because I've recovered, um, and so this is what I this is what I do. This is the purpose. This is the purpose. This is why I get to be in a normal sized body because I because I've been relieved, and so now I have marching orders. Now I have something that I'm supposed to do with that great gift. Um, and it also says that. I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely, right? So this is a program for people who have exhausted every other method. And you might even list all your methods. And sometimes before creating this idea of entire abstinence, I do suggest to people, yeah, make a list of every other method you've tried. Before you say that this is crazy, um, make a list of every other method you've tried. And I'll tell you, um, I have tried some crazy methods. <laughs> and my experience was, um, if it was extreme, illogical, and cost a lot of money, oh, I placed every bet on it. It was like, <laughs> that was the extreme measure I would go to. I would, you know, do crazy things and, um, that ne I knew didn't make sense, but I exhausted those methods. And, and you know, we hear of them all the time. I, you know, I know of people, um, maybe you're even one of them who have like had their digestive systems cut apart, right? Because, and I have no judgment about that. I don't mean to say that in any way that's 
that's cruel or 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 judgmental, um, but it just says that the lengths that we go to, the the lengths that we're willing to go to, that's that's because we suffer so much that we're willing to do anything, right, to relieve ourselves from from the pain, um, you know, and so. I, I, for the purpose of this particular conversation, this is where I'm going to stress something crucial, that even in OA, sitting right next to me might be people who may still have other methods that they're not done testing, or even ones that they find can be effective for them, because the only requirement for membership into Overeaters Anonymous is a desire to stop eating compulsively. So they might still be trying other methods, right? But this particular book with instructions is for people who those methods have failed. So um, some of those people who are sitting besides us who have a right to be there um, might find another method that's effective for them. And so what I also wanna say is like, um, like all this is this is the opinion right of this particular person through this particular text right my opinion but I'm using the text to, to sort of back up my opinion um, and I got my opinion through this book that's where I, that's where my opinion was formed um, so I am certainly someone who's exhausted all of the methods even other less strict food plans in Overeaters Anonymous were ineffective for me, right? The easier, softer way sitting in a compulsive, in an OA meeting, for me, things like, well, just eat whole and healthy, right? Just eat, um, and, and I tried that and it didn't work for me. It wasn't, it wasn't effective for me. So entire abstinence might be a crazy and extreme idea if you have another method that you still think might work. In which case, I usually say to people, go try it. Because if you don't try it, you're always going to say in your head, this might work. You have to come to a point where you say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not negotiating anymore. I'm ready. Just, just okay. You know, um, but I'm assuming that if you're here today, um, then you're like me and you've likely tried every other method and you're kind of done testing the theory, right? You're kind of done with experimentation. Um, so then it goes on on page XXVI that you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. So this letter that this doctor wrote gave them credibility. And, and so I wanna tell you that my word is good. Um, not only is my word good in general, but my word is good even about what I say about me, right? What I say about myself, you can rely on. And this is especially true about what I eat, right? Because that's what we're talking about and how I eat. And that was new for me because I was never honest about what I ate, even in Overeaters Anonymous. I wanted to have some ambiguity. I wanted to have some lack of clarity. Um, and I wanna tell you that um, being honest and upfront has to start at day one, day one. Um, the greatest obstacle to recovery is dishonesty. And we have to be fearlessly honest. That is often the first leap of faith that we take. 
It says, I trust, I believe. In order to be entirely abstinent, <clears throat> then you are entirely honest. As a sneaky addict, my dishonesty is lies by omission. That's how I like to lie. Oh, not outright. Oh, I'm not just gonna outright lie to you. I'm just gonna leave things out that I don't really want you to know, right? I'll just sort of smooth over them. Um, and what I leave out is always the truth, right? That's what I'm leaving out is the truth. It's the truth I don't want you to know. Um, so to be abstinent, then I say what I will eat, right? For me, my abstinence means I say what I'm going to eat and I eat what I say. If I'm in need of making changes, and this is part of the behavior, right? If I need to make a change, I let my sponsor know. I need to be reliable on everything I say about myself. And I was recently listening to a fellow share and I asked him if I could quote him and he said it was okay. So my friend Lewis said, real time honesty. And that I know it, it got the attention of a few people I'm working with. And I loved that. I thought that was, it was beautiful. So I appreciate that. Real time honesty is different than confessional honesty, right? Confessional honesty is honesty after the fact. Real time honesty is being reliable. It's being honest in the moment. For me, it's if I am making a food change, I text my sponsor in the moment, right? I, I just, not that I'm asking another human being permission, right? This is not about relinquishing control to a human, but it's about being reliable. So I just text it and I don't withhold it because for me, what happens is I withhold it, maybe accidentally with the intention, oh, I'll tell her later, and then later never happens. Or later, it seems like a silly thing to bother telling her anyway. And within a day or two, I'm not even eating what I say I was going to eat. Because I, you know, because that's the way, that's exactly when I said in the beginning that I can't do things in moderation. I can't even tell dishonesty in moderation, right? I can't even have, so I really have to live everything in terms of my food in black and white. Um, and so then it goes on to say that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, and here's real important, the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. We are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete, right? So I'm gonna break that down. Our bodies are abnormal. And if I don't stress that here today, then I am neglecting to share crucial information. I'm giving out incomplete information. And I think sometimes we don't wanna scare someone away, right? So we don't tell them the whole truth because we don't wanna frighten them off. Um, and we neglect to drive this point home. And, um, while I'm not an allergy specialist and I don't have the results of anyone's blood work, not my own either, right? I know that this explanation is the only one that makes sense. It's the only one that explains why I cannot eat two cookies. I've never been able to, never been able to eat two cookies, two, you know, two anything. 
um, I have a very severe response to certain foods and certain ingredients. So to start creating a food plan, it's best to start with what's not on the plan. That's always easiest, right? Um, and here's what I was taught. To create a three column chart, and Amy's gonna share like a link to a document. If you wanted to just access this at home, um, I think my good friend Martha may have created it for me. I believe it's Martha's. Um, and um, thank you, Martha, for that. Um, it's uh, a three column chart and I call it, and I didn't make this up either, you know, it's red, yellow, and green, right? Red foods, yellow foods, green foods. And red light foods are the ones you absolutely know you cannot handle. And for me, and most compulsive overeaters, we have some common items, right? Cookies, candies, cakes, muffins, donuts, ice cream, soda chips, fast food, fried foods, etc. These are the easiest ones to name. We know them. We know them. If you're honest for five minutes, if you're here and you want to get well, it's not really hard to name them, right? And then we go to the yellow ones. These are the ones you're not so sure about. And we're gonna come back to this column, right? So I'm just gonna say, there's a yellow column for a moment and let's leave that over here and let's talk about the green one. Then there's the green foods, right? And the green ones are often, I find it's pretty funny. They're often just that, they're often green. Isn't that interesting? They're usually raw green vegetables or like even fruits, right? Usually raw vegetables and fruits. And there are also things like fish, for most of us, fish, chicken, turkey, many meats, eggs, not fried or drenched in sauces and gravies, but the food in their normal form. For most of us, tend to be there um, as well. Um, they could they could be like beans, also. They could be, you know, these are just some of mine, right? Um, and what I found out for most of us, and certainly for me, a food that has no label or the label just says one ingredient is often a, a, a green food for me. It's just pretty interesting that food in their natural form, pretty much from the earth or from, from, a, from a creature, right? Without a lot of processing, um, if they come in their own package, they tend not to be problematic for me. You know, carrots, broccoli, spinach, fish, etc. they're on my green list. Um, and these are the foods that I can eat and I can enjoy them. They don't roll around in my brain. I can like them. I can even like, wow, oh my gosh, I really, really like it right? But I don't lie in bed thinking about sneaking downstairs and eating them, right? So someone might say, well, what do you mean? I, I really, really like strawberries, or I really, really like, and, you know, apples, and, and me too, right? I, I, like, I like carrots, I like all of it, but I've never been in the car on the way home from work saying, oh my god, I can't wait till I get home and I can get into that 
bag of baby carrots, right? It's just not, um, I've never like been pissed off when I found out that my kid ate the last apple in, in the drawer. It, it doesn't elicit the same response that I did when it was other foods. Um, I don't get an emotional response to them. And these are the foods, funny enough, that if your doctor told you tomorrow that you needed to stop eating them, you might think it was silly. You might think it was unnecessary. You might not like be like, oh, yay. But you wouldn't be outraged. And you wouldn't need a 12-step program to put them down, right? You would just be like, oh, that kind of sucks. Um, and if you were told tomorrow that you had a broccoli allergy, right? If I was told tomorrow, Melissa, you got a broccoli allergy, I would not need to work the 12 steps in order to live free from eating broccoli, right? So now, right, now let's circle back and discuss the yellow ones because this is the ones where people have a hard time. These are the foods that you're not sure of. And they are the sometimes problem foods. And when I found out, for me and for most of us, this is where the look-alikes go. There's things called look-alike foods, right? And they go on that yellow list. What are they? They're baked chips, right? Oh, they're not, they're not potato chips, they're baked. They're the um, veggie chips, right? They're, um, these are the foods that I know um, that there's something that I'm doing to them that's a little questionable, right? Um, they're the diet version of the real thing. That, that's, a, that's a yellow for me. Diet versions of real things. Um, these are also the foods that I know are healthy, but that I struggle to eat in reasonable quantities. So for me, and I'll just share my own personal experience. Certain starches are on that list. They're okay, they're healthy, but I can't seem to do them in a healthy way. Um, and also for me, those are nuts. And I know plenty of people don't have a hard time with nuts, but for me, those were, those were initially on my yellow list because I thought I should be able to eat them. After all, everybody says almonds are good. Almonds are good for you, only I can't do them in a way that's good. I do them until I, until I, I run out. Um, I go and eat them more and more and more. I can't measure them out and have peace. You know, also yellow foods are the recipes that turn abstinent foods into something that's on my red light list, right? So, I have, I have a friend who makes pizza from chicken. I don't know. She makes the crust of pizza from chicken. And she did, and, and if that works for you, I'm just here to tell you my truth. Pizza, if it were made out of air and sunlight, if you gave it the name pizza, it's on my list. I can't eat it. There's something about it. It's, I'm, I'm chasing an effect. Um, you know, there's another example. I eat oatmeal, right? I don't have a problem with oatmeal. I enjoy it. I weigh it out. It doesn't live large in my head. I eat it for breakfast every morning. I also can eat a banana, one banana. I can eat a banana. And again, I like it. And it doesn't excite me to a point where I want more and more. And eggs also, not a problem, right? Take them or leave them. But I know people who take these three things 
and they combine them and bake them and they turn them into a loaf and a muffin. And for me, that turns it into a problem. I've just taken three ingredients and I've just cooked them up into a problem. Um, so I would say, yeah, something that looks like or attempts to taste like something that I have on my red list is, is a problem food for me. Something about the lookalike that takes something from a food and turns it into an event. And I can't engage in eventful eating, right? I wanna say that that's a behavior. Eating for me is not an event. It's not recreation. Um, food cannot be an event. Food can be delicious, it can be flavorful, but it can't become my entertainment. Yellow light foods are also the ones I really, really didn't wanna let go of. So for me, a long time cheese was there. Cheese was a food I played with until I realized it won every game. And so food, cheese for me, and that's my own experience. I'm not here to tell anybody that they can't have any of the foods I named. Right, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you I can't. Um, and the way I know it is I might be able to eat it in weighed portions, but I'm trying to figure out how to work it into every damn meal. If I have to figure out how to get it into every single meal, it's probably a problem for me, right? Um, so these are the ones that I cannot imagine living without for the long haul. Fellows put them here as a safety net, right? They kind of put them on that yellow list as a safety net. And so I wanna talk now about having a safety net, right? Here's what I say, let's, let's look at page XXVIII, right? Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol, right? So these are the foods that are giving me an effect. And the sensation that this effect I get is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, so I know it hurts me, I cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. I can't tell what's true and I can't tell what's not true. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. So we can say that right now, we cannot differentiate the true from the false, right? If you're trying to figure out your alcoholic foods, you can't tell what's true and not what's not true, right? My disease wants to experience the effect produced by food. That's what it means to be an addict. It's doing everything it needs, that effect. And in fact, I am powerless, not only to the effect, but to the desire for that effect. That's the strange mental blank spot, that I want that effect so much so that I'm willing to crowd out reason, right? I easily push it aside. This desire owns me and I cannot tell what's true and what's a lie. My disease lies to me and it's incredibly skilled at lying, right? And it lies in my own voice and it has a very convincing argument. 
The reason my disease is so good at convincing me is because it was created by me, right? It lives in my brain. Therefore, my brain knows the exact plausible lie. It knows the right one for each and every occasion. You know, and so here's some of the lies. Here's the convincing argument. It's sugar-free. It's healthy. Other compulsive overeaters can eat it. So while we are working the steps, the agreement is that for the time being, and quite possibly forever, right? We say, yeah, let's talk about, you know, we live one day at a time, but maybe for forever, if we're willing to turn everything over, might be forever. But for now, we're gonna assume everything that is yellow, everything that was on your safety net is actually red because you can't tell what's true and what's not true. Now, if that pisses you off, if that makes you really mad and you feel a strong emotional response to something you put on your yellow list, chances are it's an alcoholic food, right? If it gave you that strange emotional reaction, because remember, you didn't feel that way about the broccoli, right? You didn't have that reaction to the broccoli. So we are assured that sanity will return and we will be better able to distinguish the true from the false at that point. And what I actually discovered was for me, as I recovered, yeah, they were all red light foods, every one of them. They were all red light foods. And actually, you know, and I, I sometimes hesitate to tell people the truth, but I have to, right? This disease is progressive. It's a progressive illness. And my, my list of green got smaller. My list of red got larger. I did not get more able to handle certain foods. In fact, I got less able to handle them. But the good news is, because I'm recovered, I'm less interested in wanting to handle those foods. They mean nothing to me. If they are going to be an obstacle between me and freedom, then I don't want them. And I say like at the end of my life and I meet my creator and he tells me, guess what, Melissa? You didn't have to put down gum. That was silly. Okay, what did I lose? because that's a food for me that I discovered was alcoholic. And I know it was alcoholic because I did it until my jaw hurt, right? I did it until, um, until I developed uh, dental issues. And when the dentist asked, do you grind your teeth? Because you've got a horrible erosion in the back, your enamel is gone. I was like, no, I don't grind my teeth. And then I realized I, of course I grind my teeth. I'm chewing gum all day long. That's grinding your teeth. Um, so if you want to discover if something is um, problematic, here's another test that you can do. Read the label for the portion size or look up what the recommended, what a portion size is of that particular food. Measure it out, put it on your plate. If you think, no way, 
right? Now, I know we're also addicted to overeating, right? To eating too much. That's the behavior. Um, I don't like my plate to look small. I like my plate to be crammed, brimming over big. Um, but I'd say if you're worried about a food, put it on your plate. If you think no way, that is too small. Or if you're thinking, what if I don't eat blank and I double up on this instead, right? It's an alcoholic food. Um, you know, and so when I wanna talk about this idea that I always think everything is too little, right? So that plan of portion sizes might not be foolproof. That's just one way. But it also leads me to talk about the importance of weighing and measuring and abstinence and food plans. Um, I do need to weigh and measure my food. Majority of my food has to get put on a scale. It just does. Um, and it's important for me because I cannot rely on hunger. Remember, I have something wrong with me. I have this serious problem. And so I can't rely on hunger as an indication of um, how I eat because um, I can't differentiate the truth from the false. And I don't experience, this disease is physiological, it's physical and mental, right? It's a spiritual malady that, that ex I experience in a physical way and also in a, in a, um, in a mental way. So I got away and measure my food because what I found out was when I am, when I am stressed, when the shit hits the fan and something bad happens, I am immediately starving. I still can experience sadness, anger, discomfort, as hunger, my stomach actually growls when I'm upset. I feel empty inside. Therefore, I need a food plan because I cannot rely on my hunger. Um, and I also can't rely on my hunger to say, oh, I'm not really hungry right now. I think I won't eat because that's a behavior. For me, that's a behavior. Not eating was, was an alcoholic food behavior because what I would do was I would save it up so I could double up, right? I like the feeling of really empty and then I can get overstuffed. And both, those are, those are alcoholic behaviors for me. So I have to eat, I have to almost eat around the clock, right? And I would say this is part of a behavior, this is part of a food plan. I eat breakfast at breakfast time, lunch at lunchtime. I used to need a snack in the day. I don't these days. Um, as I've gotten older, my metabolism slowed. Um, I require less food. And so I don't need that snack. When I weighed over 300 pounds, um, I needed it. I physically needed it. And now at this weight, I don't seem to need it. Um, and I eat dinner at dinner time. And I don't eat past a certain time of day, no matter what. No matter what. Because anything I eat after a certain time of day, I'm getting into weird territory. Because an alcoholic food behavior for me was night eating. I would skip 
meals all day so I could give this incredible binge at night. Um, and so I can't eat that way anymore. I eat um, almost around, you know, on the clock. I have to have my lunch within a certain time. And I, and I want to tell you what this means for me as part of having a food plan is if I'm going to um, someplace, right? And I might not be able to be home to eat. I pack a lunchbox. That's what I require. And if it means, you know, look, I, I would show up to get my hair, I would get my hair done. And the woman who does my hair, um, if, if I had to make that appointment during my lunchtime, I am actually going to eat my lunch while she's doing. I mean, that, that might sound crazy, but I, I have to, I kind of have to, I, not I kind of, I have to do it that way. That is the way that I have to live. If I'm going to be out, I pack a cooler, I pack my lunchbox. It also means for me, I have been in situations where um, I had to take my daughter to the hospital and I knew it was going to be a long day. And my, my, my cooler was packed. I had lunch and dinner in there and it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was just, you saw those little bags of veggies, those pictures. It was one of those at lunch, one for dinner. It was two cans of salmon. It was two pieces of fruit. I mean, I'm telling you, and it was like a little individualized size portion of my fat for lunch. It was like, they make little individualized portions of um, avocado like already packaged, two of those in there. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't like, it was just my nutrition, but I knew I needed to eat. And I knew I was going to be walking into a hard, stressful situation. And the worst thing I could do for myself is not take care of my nutritional needs. And it might've sounded crazy and extreme and maybe even selfish to be preparing my food before taking my kid to the hospital. But I'll tell you what, I brushed my teeth that morning and I put on my bra that morning and nobody thought I was being selfish or extreme. It was just part of my daily care. And that's how I look at my food and my nutrition. It's part of my daily care. It's, it's how I take care of myself. So I don't, I don't wait and eat and I don't skip my meals. I can't do that. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of hospitalization for the alcoholic, because there's a part in the book, um, XX, um, after the letter XXIV, I'm, I'm in like two different versions here, it might be different, um, but it says that um, hospitalization for the alcoholic who's very jittery and befogged um, is recommended, and it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. So that's why this is here in the beginning before we work the steps, because we have to be abstinent. We've got to be clear before we start working the steps. And we can create our own rehabs because this is hard stuff for people who are newly coming in. We can create for ourselves with the work of a sponsor, with the work of a fellowship, our own rehabs and hospitals, which means tight parameters with a lot of support and structure. No eating out. 
I would say, this is not a forever. I'm talking about the beginning because I do want you to know I do eat out. You can rely on everything I say about myself. I do eat out, but I eat out in ways that are entirely abstinent. Um, but early recovery means I don't eat out. Not when I was in early recovery because I couldn't differentiate the truth from the false. And it was just too, it, there was too much obscurity. It wasn't clear enough for me. Um, no eating out or no eating um, in places that might be problematic for me. Um, I don't recommend doing things that pull you away from your focus on recovering. Your early recovery, your work is your early recovery. Early recovery time means that all outside distractions and obligations take a back seat. They take a back seat. Remember, this is for the type with whom other methods have failed. And so I say, this is for the type of people who say what I have is stage four cancer. It's serious, it's deadly and it's killing me. And if you're not feeling that, then you still have wiggle room and you're still able to negotiate and control. This is not for those type of people. We are the people who are realize that we're being kicked to death by a bunny rabbit and we don't wanna be kicked anymore. Right. So I say everything else takes a back seat as if I were if I were diagnosed tomorrow with cancer and my doctor said you've got to go for chemo. I wouldn't say, oh, but I was gonna go on vacation next week. Or, you know, really, I have to like do it at that time. Don't you know I drive carpool? or I have a card game or, you know, any of those reasons would seem somehow unimportant, right? In an effort for me to get well. And that's really how I have to look at this too. Um, when a fellow is newly abstinent and unrecovered, I don't recommend eating out, no vacations or embarking on new relationships. Like you kind of put those things off to the side for a moment. We don't move. Right, we don't change our jobs in the midst of this, if at all possible. Right, right now you're in the hospital, and everything you do has to be in support and not in opposition to achieving and maintaining food sobriety. I'm going to say that again everything you do in the beginning has to be in full support of attaining food sobriety. If it's in opposition, then you don't do it then you don't do it. Um, so it also goes on to say that that the addict, oh, there's a part here that talks, oh, we have a better chance, here we go. It's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So let's talk about better chances. Addicts zone in on better chances. They hear that. And more often than not, they're telling them that there's still a chance that they can recover while still eating. 
right? Because they hear better chance. So the addict says, oh, it doesn't say no chance. It just says better, right? So maybe I could still eat. Maybe I could still try to do this as I'm doing that. And I would say that if you're dying of something, remember we're the, we're the type who's determined that we're dying. If we're dying and this is fatal and this is progressive and you go to the doctor and he offers you two different options for treatment, do you want the one with the better chance? Or do you want the one that might work if you're lucky? Um, and I would say, I want the one with the better chance. Why else would I be wasting my time, right? So I understand um, that this sounds crazy and extreme. And, um, you know, I, I'm here to talk to you guys because um, I believe in this, right? And this, this talks about it in the doctor's opinion too. I'm not doing this for profit, right? I'm not getting paid today, um, but I have a community spirit um, because I've been saved. And, um, you know, all the people in Overeaters Anonymous who work their tail off to do this, all, we all do it for the same reason because we've been spared and we believe in this. We believe in the powers of good that pulled us back from the gates of death. And that was my experience. I really was at the gates of death. I, my blood pressure was dangerously high um, and I was dying and I'm not dying anymore. Um, you know, the, um, I also wanna talk about the phenomenon of craving right? It's limited to this class and it never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So average temperate drinkers, average temperate drinkers can overeat sometimes, but they don't continue to overeat once they're truly full. And this explains why I could go out to dinner with girlfriends and they can share a piece of cake and actually leave some of it over because they don't desire it once they've been satisfied. They, they experience satisfaction. Normal people receive satisfaction from normal size portions. Normal people eat and with each bite, the desire for more gets diminished. But I eat and the desire for more gets increased. And this tells me that I can never treat food the way that normal people can. And I love it was, I had also heard someone explain it like, like thirst, like water. That if I'm thirsty and I pour myself a nice glass of iced water and I begin to drink it, I don't need to call upon willpower to keep me from finishing the glass of ice water. Once my thirst, has been quenched, I'm good. I don't need more water. And this is the way that normal people experience food. But I have a very specific and severe food allergy. And for me, it occurs when I eat very specific foods. And it also occurs when I eat very specific ways. And this identifying the difficult foods and behaviors is something I feel best examined, right? 
that, that it's something we must examine. That's why we're here. It's so important that we're honest with each other, that we have an honest exchange. And, you know, the, the, the techniques were things that I talked about. The identification is what we're talking about here, identifying what these alcoholic foods are, creating this plan. You know, we drink, we eat because we like the effect. And I'm going to circle back to that part again. I don't eat because I'm a foodie. We don't eat because we love food, right? It's not because I like the taste and the flavor of food or for the texture or for the presentation, but I get a hit. I get a buzz off of food. And I can actually feel that hit for me even before I begin to eat it. And that's how I know that it's an alcoholic food because sometimes when I was just planning what I was gonna eat, I've already would start to get that thing happening inside me, right? And I start feeling almost intoxicated. I would almost feel, you know, this high because it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, you know, having it in my shopping cart, I would begin to feel it. Scrolling the recipe for how I was going to create it, I would begin to feel it. Um, sometimes just knowing that it was waiting for me at home in the refrigerator, it would get me through the day, right? That sensation, that thing I get, this effect, I get it. And I have to say what happened for me would be I would get it, I would eat it, I would consume it. And then that ease and comfort, I would have it for a second and it would escape me, it was gone so quickly. And as my disease progressed, I needed more of it just to get that initial hit, just to get that zero. I would call it like getting my clock reset to zero. It took more and more and more. And, you know, it, so it eludes me, it escapes me. And even though it's hurting me, I can't tell what's true and what's not true because it seems normal to eat the way that I was eating. And it was normal to behave that way with food. And when I didn't eat it, here's the cycle. I was restless, I was irritable, and I was discontent. And for me, what that means is that I would feel internally itchy, itchy on the inside. You know, and so it was like, if you've ever had a dog, right? I love, I love watching dogs. I've learned a lot about people from dogs and especially my disease. You ever watch your dog try to get comfortable? It circles again and again and again. That's me. That's me in an untreated state when I'm restless, irritable and discontent. I'm like the dog circling and I cannot settle down. I could get no ease and comfort until I took the bite. But what happened is I didn't settle down for long. There I was up again, circling again and again and again. And you know, what would happen is this next part really explains the addiction cycle. I would say it's more of a spiral, right? We get uncomfortable. And so we succumb, we give in to this thing, this discomfort, it builds and it weakens me. It, it, it like beats me down until the desire is overwhelming. And then here's the thing, 
Other people, normal people, they get uncomfortable too. Normal people get ease and comfort. By the way, lots of people get ease and comfort from food. You hear people say, oh my God, I need a piece of chocolate. And they actually do. They need a piece of chocolate, but I can't get satisfaction, right? So I take the piece and I'm off. I have the punishing effect. And then what happens is I'm in a binge, right? And I might be able to have that chocolate or that food. Let's say it's a yellow food. Let's not make it so clear. Let's make it something iffy. I might have it and I get away with it. So I don't think it's such a problem because I didn't binge today, but something's happening inside of me. It begins to take residence in my brain. It begins to roll around in my brain. And you know, other people get uncomfortable. They eat, they get satisfaction, they're done. I eat, I get no satisfaction. I'm not done. And it rolls around in my head and then I, I'm off into a craving. And once I'm there, I'm powerless. I have an allergy and I can't dial it down. And I go crazy, right? Um, I eat and I eat and I eat and I can't stop. And it takes me a very, very long time to emerge remorseful, a very long time. That's what happened for me at the end. My ability to emerge remorseful got longer and longer away, right? And I would come up for a second and get pulled back under again. And so what I say is, you know, I was told that this is a cycle. And then I was told mm -mm, it's a spiral, right? It's not a cycle, it's a spiral. And if you think about a spiral, you might even draw one in here. Um, it takes me longer to emerge remorseful. My binges get more extreme, right? More crazy, they last longer. I emerge remorseful for a shorter period of time. It takes me longer and longer to emerge remorseful. And at the end, my life is a black dot. I'm just eating. And that's where this disease had me, that everything was just a black dot. Um, and I don't respond to ordinary psychological approaches. You know, it's, um, and it's not that psychology doesn't work. Good doctors are wonderful. We're told, don't, no, don't like push aside like the knowledge of a good doctor. Awesome for good doctors. Therapy is wonderful and therapy is great. I have nothing against therapists, but therapy never worked for compulsive overeating because none of them told me about the allergy. They all talked to me about things like self-sabotage, not understanding the fact that I have a strange mental insanity and I, it's not self-sabotage. That might be a separate issue, but this is not what happens for me with the food. You know, therapy for treating compulsive overeating, it's like taking the wrong medication. Psychological approaches tend to look at the why. Why do I have this? Why am I doing this? And why I have this problem is a mystery and it's inconsequential information. I'm not gonna discuss the why. You know, it won't solve my problem. Um, 
the phenomenon of craving dominates me and I cannot use my mental control to overcome it. That's, that's the why. So why do I do this? Because I'm a compulsive overeater. That's why I do this. You know, and what happens is I wind up sacrificing everything because I cannot fight the allergic response. You know, the, um, the important thing, we have um, one particular symptom in common. No matter where you are in this spectrum of, of what's on your yellow food, really, which is your red food, let's be clear, there's only red and there's only green. There is no such thing as yellow. So I'm just gonna, now I'm just gonna call it what it is, they're red. Um, you know, here's the important thing that we have in common. We can't start drinking, we can't start eating without the developing the phenomenon of craving. And that makes us different from other people. It sets us apart as a distinct entity. It says that in the book. We are a distinct entity. So this is a very important concept to zone in on. This allergy cannot be permanently eradicated. So although we recover from the insanity, we do not recover from the allergy. What we have to do is abstain. And for me, I find it very helpful to be really clear that I am not like other people. Never have been, never will be. I'm different, right? Different, 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 special and unique, distinct. And so I cannot look at other people and the things that they can do where food and eating are concerned, right? That's not where I look to find out how I need to eat and how I need to behave with food. And for me, this is a very important sentence. And I say, fold a piece of paper in half. You can do that. Take a piece of paper, fold it in half, right? One half of the paper is where all the rest of the world lives. They can eat spontaneously. They don't have to carry their lunch in a little cooler, right? They don't have to show up at friends' houses with a salad and a can of salmon in their bag. Oh, there's my dog. <laughs> um, they can eat spontaneously. They can eat fast foods. They can eat at friends' houses without asking what they use to cook it with. They can be concerned. I hope someone in my family lets the dog out. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking right now. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody let my dog out? Oh, they hear me. I hear someone's feet. That's a beautiful thing, hopefully. Um, so, you know, I have, I've, um, I go to friends' houses, right? And if I live on that side of the page, on a different side of the page, I don't have to ask my friends what they cooked their food in. I don't have to go to my friend's house who barbecues and said like, did you marinate the meat in anything? Or did you put a rub on it? A lot of people would be very concerned that they're offending, that it's poor manners, right? And I'm going to tell you, they live on the other side of the paper. Not me. I live on this side. Now I've learned to do it in a way that's respectful and kind, but I still do it. And if I'm not comfortable doing it, then I don't eat there. Then I don't eat there. Then I bring what I need to bring. And what I say is I have, I, you know, one of my problems was I lacked proportion, which is, which is how insanity is described, 
is a lack of proportion, which means I place certain things more important than other things, and they're not. They're actually wrong. So if I was more concerned about the possibility of offending somebody by asking them or by bringing my own food, then I am lacking proportion because if my kid had a deadly peanut allergy and I showed up at my sister-in-law's house, I would ask her, did you cook this with peanuts, right? I wouldn't be worried about offending her. Well, I have a deadly allergy and I'm certainly as important as my children. Why, why wouldn't I be as important as my children? And if I can't do it, then I, then I just take care of my needs. It's just that simple. I live on the side of the page, right? Where I have to do those things. Um, you know, I have a very specific type of disordered eating. I also live on the side of the page where I can't tell white lies. I have to be reliable and I can't gossip. This is part of my moral code. I, I might do it, but I have to make amends for it as well. Right. And I know that's not part of a food plan, but that's just sort of like a little whisper to live on. When you live on that side of the page, there's another code that you have to follow, too. It's not just abstinent food. It's behaviors, behaviors. It's the way I engage with the world. Um, you know, I, I, I think what's important, and I'll just sort of really end with this, is that in order for this to work, we have to make our own diagnosis. It's an in, you know, I cannot diagnose another person. I cannot tell you. If you are hoping to come here today with me gifting you my food plan, you'd be pissed because you wouldn't want it. Trust me, you wouldn't want it. You know, unless you have this, you would think this is ridiculous. Um, I love my food plan. It works for me in rough goings. It works for me in great, in great happiness. It works for me everywhere. I can live it um, everywhere I go, everywhere I go. And I have, I have, thank you, God. I go to restaurants. I go to, a vet, I mean, not now, no one's going anywhere, <laughs> which by the way, if you're here looking to get abstinent, you are at the best time of your life right now. There is no excuses. No excuses, but your own disease, right? No excuses. It is the easiest time to get abstinent. It really is um, if you want to, if you're just that desperate, just that willing. My food plan comes with me. If I'm at a place and I need to, I, br I even bring my scale. I have a little foldable scale. I've brought it to OA events. I brought it to my sister-in-law's house. I brought it to my friend's house. If I am at a place and I am uncomfortable weighing and measuring my food, then I'm uncomfortable being there. That's just the way it is. Then, then it's a place that I don't belong. It's not for me. Or I need to eat elsewhere. Um, so I hope, I hope that you guys find that helpful. Obviously, I could talk forever about this chapter. I have left out like huge things and I have gone like way over the time that I thought I would speak. So I am so done. Um, and, uh, but I'm happy to answer any questions with that. I'll pass. Melissa, thank you so much. Thank you so much for that beautiful, robust, thorough presentation on this very, very important chapter. Thank you for all of those tips. I am sure 
that people are gonna have questions, but before we do, <clears throat> please note that this meeting is being recorded. And by speaking during this meeting, you are giving permission to have your voice on this recording, just the audio, no video, just audio. <clears throat> Um, there is no sharing at this meeting. Instead, we ask questions of the speaker. Um, also, please remember that the opinions of the speaker are her own and do not reflect OA as a whole. The meeting is now open for questions. To do so, you may raise your hands by uh, clicking raise hand at the bottom of the participants window. Or if you would like to ask a question anonymously, please private chat it to Lori Kay, our host. Um, and we'll alternate between calling on people and reading the anonymous questions from the chat. If you're having trouble raising your hand, you can wave or, or chat that you would like to raise your hand and we'll call on you um, that way. We're using the chat as our we care list also. So please feel free to leave your information there. And if you wanna state if you're looking for an available sponsor or you are an available sponsor or just looking for outreach or can provide it, please put that in the chat as well. And with that, the meeting is open for questions. Um, who would like to ask a question of Melissa today? I don't see any hands raised in the chat? Oh, I do. Emily T from Chicago, please unmute and ask your question. Hi, thanks. Hi, I'm Emily, um, food addict in Chicago. Uh, thank you so much, Melissa. Um, my question is um, in terms of like yellow light foods, or I guess just wondering about ingredients. Like for example, I. I'm pretty clear that I can't handle sugar. So I read labels. Um, and sometimes I've wondered if just like salt is a problem. Like I, I like I have to salt my food. Um, but I just that has been, you know, just an ingredient. I'm not sure about like, do you work on? Let's see, where's my Oh, like just ingredients. I know, like there's certain foods, but I'm wondering a little bit more specifically, like ingredients. Um, so I hope that made sense. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. That does make sense. And I was, I was thinking somebody's got to answer that question. Oh, good. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, um, I was, yeah, I was hoping that that would get asked. Um, so I'm going to say yes and no, right. I'm going to say it again, it is um, a diagnosis comes from within. And generally what I have found if you're voicing it, it probably is. It probably is, right? Um, and if you're not sure, put it down. See how it is. I mean, you know, yeah, I found out for me, uh, from my own experience, sugar in any form. And that was the other thing. I And I did, I forgot that there was a port here. It says entire in any form at all, any form, it actually, so, so yes, for me, I, I found out, I first, I thought it was just, just, you know, recreational sugar, right? I was told like, well, just, you know, sugar, like, you know, no junk, no whatever. And I didn't, I wasn't like reading labels crazy. And what, what I experienced was, um, I found this out with rotisserie chicken, right? I remember I said I could eat chicken. I measure in chicken at home, no problem. Put on the scale, I like it, it's delicious. 
I would go to the store and get a rotisserie chicken and I could not <laughs> stop myself, right? Yeah, yeah. From like taking it, as I'm like weighing it, I'm like throwing little pieces in my mouth, the, the mm-hmm. grease on it, the sh- mm-hmm. something in it did something different to me. Something in it, it just, it became an event. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I read the label. Guess what? It's marinated with sugar. Mm. It's got extra fat in it. It's got other stuff. Because I also found out that certain fat content did something to me. Mm. You know, so, you know, I personally don't have a salt issue. I understand some people say, I I also want to stress, sometimes people experience they're having recovery and then they have a problem, something comes up and they go back into the food and they begin to say, well, let me look at my food again. Maybe there was something in there that caused it. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's spiritual in nature. It's more spiritual in nature than food plant, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, I think it's not when I could say, oh yes, salt, 100%, don't ever eat salt. Mm-hmm. I don't know, right? Okay, yeah. thanks, that's helpful, thanks. Thank you so much for your question, Emily. Next, we have Katie B. And after Katie will be T in Miami. Katie, I'm you. Go ahead with your question. Hi, uh, Katie, compulsive overeater in Brooklyn, New York. Um, Hi, Melissa. Uh, Thanks so much. Uh, I was wondering if you had specific techniques or practices for when you are going to go to a restaurant. Um, There's anything specific you do, you know, the whole jive. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't go to restaurants spontaneously. I just can't. I just that I just can't. So if if and what I mean by that is I don't walk into a restaurant without looking at a menu. And all restaurants these days um, have their menu online. It's easy enough. So I access the menu. For me, an alcoholic food behavior is sitting at a restaurant, like having a romantic experience with a menu, right? It becomes like sexy, it's exciting. I read everything. It all sounds so wonderful. It's an event. Um, I know what I'm gonna order before my butt is in the seat at the restaurant. Um, And if I'm in doubt that it has something I can't have, I make a phone call. And I asked the restaurant uh, or, you know, my husband laughs. He's like, oh boy, here she goes. <laughs> because ordering with me at a restaurant is an experience, <laughs> like second to none. And I always, I always tell the person that I'm ordering from, I say, all right, I'm just going to apologize. I'm a pain in the ass, but I'm really nice. So bear with me. And I just, I am really clear about what I need. And I asked them, you know, like, is there... You know, and I also have some standbys. There are some dishes in a restaurant that they don't mess with too much. Generally salmon, right? Unless it's glazed, a piece of fish, broiled fish. I say like, don't put any breadcrumbs on it. Broiled fish is usually a really safe choice for me. Um, They're not bringing me out a humongous, they're not bringing out too much. It's usually a portion. If the word glazed is in there, marinated question 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 right um and if i'm not sure i ask right i I ask yeah i so my so the joke in this house is i get the same dish every single restaurant i go to every restaurant i go to 
salmon, a steamed vegetable, um, and a salad. No dressing, please. <laughs> no dressing, please. Um, it's pretty standard. And I bring my fruit. I'll just throw my fruit in the bag because I do have a fruit. Yeah. And actually what I found out is I don't like eating out as much as I used to. I'd rather eat my salad at home. It's better. Once I pick out all the stuff in it, once I tell them to leave out all the candied nuts and all the little dried fruits and all the cheeses and it's boring. I'd rather have my own salad at home. It's better. So I hope that helps. Thank you for your question, Katie. We're going to go to T in Miami. And after that, Lori's got a question from the chat. T, would you please like to unmute and ask your question? Hi, um, I'm T and obviously a compulsive overeater and from Miami as well. And I'm having technical difficulties. I usually um, have my, I mean, I have my video on, but I don't know what's going on down here today. Um, Melissa, thank you for your service. And um, as someone who's been in recovery for, um, for years now, one day at a time, I am so, so grateful that I admitted to myself this morning that I don't know everything and that maybe the message that I got at a meeting to attend the, um, the workshop on abstinence and creating your food plan would be a good thing for me to attend. And here I am because you, you know, you said a couple of things and, and they weren't throwaways, if you know what I mean, but they were, um, you know, you said something about, let's face it, there are no yellow foods, uh, you know, I mean, you didn't say it that way, but, and I've always thought that, I, you know, my honesty is I either can or I can't there for me, if I'm given a middle, I'm going to pick the wrong, the wrong thing. I cannot pick the middle and um I can't have the middle because I'll pick the wrong one and then the other thing you said was for like you know like I'm never going to eat this again let's face it we're never going to eat it again you know and but yes it's one day at a time I I'm telling you your honesty has just liberated me liberated See? me Excuse me, in the interest of time, do you have a question for Melissa? I do, and my question Great, is how, thank you. Long, how long have you been weighing and taking your scale everywhere you go? How long have you been doing that? Melissa, you're muted, there you go. Got it. Hold on, so I wanna tell you, I don't know, I don't. I want you to be, I wanna make sure that I'm clear. I don't always do that. In certain circumstances, I don't. I, uh, and here's, here's for me where I don't, right? When I go to a restaurant that is plating my food in front of me and I'm having a piece of fish and a vegetable and a salad, I don't. So I wanna make sure I don't wanna be dishonest in any way. I don't wanna misrepresent myself. But if I'm going to a place where I am taking from a plate and putting it on my plate myself, I do. Okay. In my house, I always weigh and measure. Um, and, and, you know, do I, do I, um, 
do I think like that, maybe that's a problem. It hasn't presented a problem for myself because the truth is I don't really, I don't love eating out as much anyway. So it's not like I'm looking forward to it because I think I'm going to get to eat more and I don't eat anything different than I eat at my house. So it hasn't, um, yeah, I haven't, um, I don't have, I don't have an allergic response to salmon. I just don't, it doesn't seem to do it to me. So whatever they put on my plate usually looks about right. If it looks like, in a, if it looks really big, I don't have a problem cutting it. And I just bring the rest home. Um, yeah, so I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Yes, and now I have to go cook dinner. Thank okay. you guys. Thank you so much for your question, T. Lori, you have a question asked uh, privately in chat. I do. Uh, this person said, Melissa, thank you for vocalizing my disease or common disease. How do you handle intense pain, especially emotional pain, and the steps aren't working either? Mm, prayer. <laughs> A lot of prayer. I don't, I don't address it with food, I'll tell you that. Uh, in fact, when I'm in emotional pain, I eat as... Um, boring as possible. In fact, when I'm in emotional pain, I am more likely to eat the can of salmon because I don't have to cook. You know, something that's like a, a, an individual portioned low fat, you know, plain yogurt, uh, an individual portioned piece of vegetable or fruit because I, you know, yeah, I don't want to start playing with my food. When I'm in a lot of pain, thank you God, I have a fellowship of support. I have sisters that walk this walk with me. Um, and I reach out, I, I work the steps of the program. I, um, I work that 10th step. <laughs> um, I'm not given a free pass from being a human being. We are going to have intense emotional pain. That's part of a human experience. Um, I actually experience emotional pain like a human being. I cry. <laughs> go figure I don't like I mean I'm laughing right now like when I'm in pain I don't have to like put a fake smile on my face and sell myself to the greater public I can actually say people who know me who have a relationship with me know if they see my inventory they know I say I am really unhappy I am really I you know I, I could say um God I trust you but I don't like this I am not enjoying this um, yeah, we have, um, we have a program for that. We have, a, we have work for that. I, I do the 10 step. And then the other thing is I get busy helping other people because nothing, nothing will so much as save the day as work with another compulsive overeater. If I am having too much thinking about Melissa and her struggle and her pain and her woe, woe is me. Um, the best thing I can do is, is find someone that I can help start thinking about them. And um, I hope that helps. Thank you so much to whoever asked that question. And again, if you'd like to ask a question anonymously, please um, just send a little private chat to Lori Kay, our host. Her name is right up at the top of the participants list. Um, now I see Melissa G has her hand raised. Melissa, would you like to unmute and ask your question? Hey, 
Um, I guess my question is, is when you were developing your food plan and you did the red, the yellow, which is really red, and then the green, how did you identify the portion sizes other than like the ones that are on the back of like a package? Unmute. Yep. So, oh. yeah, I got it. Is that your question? Did you want to ask something? Okay. So there's a couple of ways. One is, um, you know, we have, first of all, we have the benefit of nutritionists, right? So a nutritionist is a great place to go. I have, I have had many nutritional plans from people. Um, that's a great starting spot. There's also, if you're in doubt, right? There's also, look it up, go on the computer, recommended port. Cause sometimes I have something and I'm like, I don't know what portion I'm supposed to have of this. Right. And, um, I like to put, for me, I like to put things on a scale. I find, um, it is the most honest way I can, um, measure my food even more than a cup because I can cram we're so gifted. I can use like a shoehorn to like get everything in that, right? Smush it all in. Um, so if I'm not sure, I look up the weight on the computer, portion, serving size of blank, you know, um, and that's, that's what I have for it, but also a food plan. Thank you so much for your question, Melissa G. Now we have Maria G. Maria, would you like to um, unmute and ask your question? You're still muted, Maria. Touch the screen and try and hit the little microphone icon in the bottom. Unmute. There you go. Oh, hi. Hi, Melissa. Hey. I thoroughly enjoyed your uh, sharing. Um, I, I have, I have a, a, an issue sometimes with fruit that are exceptionally sweet, like cantaloupe, or uh, I just ate a satsuma, and it was really sweet. And uh, it doesn't really give me... Um, it make it doesn't make me crave, but I was just wondering um, if it has the potential to do that. So um, only you will know. <laughs> only you know. Like I mean, I had you know, I had. Um, I'll tell you, I had an experience with with certain fruit that gave me information. Right, I. Um, was at my sister's house for the holidays a couple of years ago and we were cleaning up after the holidays and I was gonna, and I'm gonna have fruit after dinner. It's like part of what I have as my meal, right? And so I'm cleaning up and she has dried fruit there. And I, holy hell, oh no, no, no. It became really clear. And there is too concentrated. Even holding it in my hand, it was sticky, <laughs> yeah. right? And it was like, something lit up inside me, you know, I, I had what I, what was a portion and I, it was like, everything inside me was like crying for more. Yeah. It was really clear. That is not a food for me. 
Yeah. Okay, thanks. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your question, Maria. Lori has another question in chat. Lori, would you like to ask that now, please? So this other person has asked, um, how do you deal with actual physical hunger if you've already eaten your meals for the day? My body is so used to having so much food, I get hungry with small amounts. I drink a lot of herbal tea. <laughs> I'm drinking my tea right now. I drink tea, I drink, you know, herbal tea. I drink um, water, tea. Um, you know, that's where prayer comes into. In the beginning, you are hungry. You're hungry. You're so used to stuffed, right? I'm so used to stuffed. So one of the things um, is uh, I'm, I remind myself, like I have like, I like to speak to myself in a little, sometimes a little snarky manner. I talk to myself like, well, you never, you're not gonna die of starvation. Like, you know, I came in, I was over 300 pounds. Don't worry, Melissa, you're not gonna die. No one, you know, no one ever died between lunch and dinner, never happened, not from starvation, right? Um, my beautiful friend, I'm gonna quote her. I used to have a big problem night eating when I first came and, and my friend Madeline said to me early on and I never forgot it, oh, kitchen's closed, sweetie. I don't know why that just, and I can almost hear her voice saying it because she's so loving and sweet. And um, that's what I would say to myself, oh, kitchen's closed. It's closed and it's not an option. And so when I'm hungry um, and if it's real, it is physical hunger in the beginning. And even if it's not, I still experience it like it's physical, it doesn't matter. My stomach still growls like I'm hungry. That's the importance of a weighted measured food plan, a committed weighted measured food plan, because I know logically it is enough food nutritionally. So I know that I can't say, well, maybe I didn't really eat enough, which is why I don't skip meals or like play around with my portions. I eat what I say and I say what I eat. Um, but if I'm really hungry, you know, call some, do some outreach, pick up the call call somebody, you know, that's fellowship. Even call someone and say, I am so hungry, I can't stand it. Um, yeah, thanks. Thank you for that question. Lori has another in chat, go ahead. Uh, Melissa, when you bring a salad or a meal to someone's house, have you ever felt the need to bring something for, for everyone else? That's what I bring, yes. I bring, I do not bring my own individual portion salad. That feels, that doesn't feel aligned with my ideals. That for me, it feels, that feels like the old diet me who used to show up with my Weight Watchers meal and don't, you know, don't even look at it because it's only mine. Um, I bring it to share with everybody and whether they like it or not. And I've had, you know, um, I had an experience a few summers ago where I was invited to a friend's house and um, I asked them beforehand because I try to like get a sense of what they're serving. And they were very evasive with me. They weren't clear what they were going to have. And I said, oh, I said, well, can I make, I'll make a salad to bring. And she was like, well, no, 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 we're, we've got it. Don't, you don't, please just show up. Don't bring anything. And I, 
I didn't know what to do. I was like, but I knew I was going to be there all day. It wasn't like, and I didn't feel right just bringing my little cooler. It felt, how do I, I didn't feel right. I felt like it would be better for me to bring the big salad. And when I got there, I had my standard big salad and my can of salmon in my bag. Thank God I did, because I really didn't have anything for me. What they called a salad was not a salad. It was dressed. It had like croutons and bacon and had everything I don't eat. And somewhere in there, there was a piece of lettuce, right? And so I, I, I was grateful that I brought what I needed to bring. And they really didn't have any protein that wasn't like marinated and fried and greased and cheesed and um but they 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 weren't really happy with me like and I got that vibe and then I realized it had nothing to do with me it was they were having their own marital issue and I was taking it personally because the wife said I told you I told you not to bring anything I ordered a lot of food you know my Johnny's gonna be upset I ordered a lot of food please and I said, oh, I said, but you know me, I'm crazy. And I just brought it. And then he greeted me and said, Kelly, you know, like he said to his wife, didn't you tell her we don't need anything that you ordered enough for an army? And I realized, okay, I was uncomfortable, but it had nothing to do with me. They were having their own, you know, and sadly they've, they've split up since then. So if I were to have set my barometer based on trying to please them, and I ate that day, I could be back in the food and their marriage still would have ended, right? So my job is to take care of my small lane. And I apologized. I said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you guys know me. I'm, I'm a little crazy. And I, I would rather, you know, I have to take it that serious. I have to take it that serious. Thank you. We're going to go to Patty in Chicago next. And then after that, Lori's got another in chat. Patty, would you like to unmute and ask your question? Hi. Um, so I make my meals by my, because I live by myself. <clears throat> and like, I will make two slices of bacon and be like, okay, that's fine. But I want more, but I, but I won't but I won't make more, right? Cause like once it's in the oven, it's in the oven. I'm not gonna like do that again. But I feel like I'm being sneaky um, because if I wanted to, I could eat the whole thing. Um, but I do it as like, oh, well I'm just only having a little bit of it but it will stay on my mind. Um, I guess I'm just looking to be as honest as possible because I'm like, I can be real tricky. Um, and, and the food list always kind of tricks me up. Like I know for sure what I can't have, but then if I, I feel like I'm controlling things, but also it's kind of hard to control the things. I don't even know if that was a question, but. It is, and I think you answered it yourself, which is why you're probably like, it's not a question. You know, we, um, we cannot control and enjoy my eating. That's my problem, right? If I am controlling it, I'm not really enjoying it. And if I'm enjoying it, I'm not controlling it, right? So I would say you brought up that food, you know the answer, right? You know the answer. And you're using management. 
you're, you're trying a management technique. Your management right now, the method you're trying is I will only make this. Well, what happens when you're someplace and they have enough for you to take more? And you've already decided that this is a food you could play with, right? To me, I would think, and I would also wonder, are you opening yourself up um, in other areas to have, you know, like, uh, you might not eat those two more pieces of that particular food, but how are you doing with the rest of your food plan? And are you, you might be needlessly struggling. I, listen, I had that with the cheese. I just didn't want to put it down. Just didn't want to put it down. Um, and I'm so grateful I put it down. It's only hard until you do it. Yeah. Thank you. you yeah, that was the answer I needed. If I'm controlling, I am not enjoying. And thank you. This was the greatest thing I've ever Oh, thank you so much, Patty. We're so glad that you were here today. Lori, questions in chat, go. Okay, we have two. One is, um, can I ask Melissa what time she eats at and where does she eat? Her oh, oh like yeah, at yeah, the yeah. dinner table? Yeah, thank you. That was another important, yes. So, um, yeah, I generally, um, I eat meal time. So my breakfast is, you know, I get up early. So like during the week now, and, and my schedule got weird recently because I'm home now. So my breakfast is um, eight o'clock, 8 a.m. But normally when I was leaving the house to go to work, I was eating by seven. So now it's just like a little bit later, but my my clock got a little changed. So I eat, um, I eat at eight. Now my lunch, I have a lunch break for work is at one o'clock. And I used to like to eat at 1230 um, when I was, go but, but again, I was eating an hour earlier. So I eat at eight and I eat at one. That's my lunch break. Um, and I eat dinner. Normally I eat dinner by six o'clock. Um, and then I'm done. And so, yeah, so I eat at a table, sitting down in a chair. I don't eat, I don't eat watching TV. Um, I try not to eat at my computer. Sometimes I had to a little bit in terms of, I have a work meeting and it's my lunchtime and I will have to be on my computer um, and I'm eating because I can't wait to, I can't, that's just not a better, it's, that's like the better choices. And my house, I like to sit in a particular chair. And I, I often tell people, I sit in the chair in my kitchen that has the arms because when I was over 300 pounds, I didn't fit in them. I couldn't sit in those chairs. So I just love to feel, <laughs> I love to feel those arms around me. That's the structure that tells me like, it is okay that I have to live and eat in this disciplined way because as a result, I get to sit in the chairs that I own in my house and there's nothing more you know, humiliating and demeaning than to only be able to sit in one particular chair in your kitchen because the rest you don't fit in, right? So this is worth any 
Um, and I love, I love to sit in smaller places when I do. Oh, by the way, when I go to a restaurant, I want to sit in a booth, put me in a booth, you know, one, because I never used to be able to sit there. And I like feeling that this is what I get, right? If I eat this way, this is what, this is how I get to live. And I also feel like it's a loving service for someone else who might not. And I remember being that obese person who would have to wait extra long for a table, right? Because I didn't fit in a booth. So if I can fit in a booth, that's where I should be sitting because that, that frees up a seat for someone who can't. Um, yeah. So, I, okay. So I don't eat in front of the TV because that's an alcoholic behavior. I don't eat, I don't watch things and eat. And um, I don't pick off other people's plates, right? I'm not the garbage can. Okay, um, so somebody has asked, is there a salad dressing you recommend? Okay, all right, now we're gonna real get specific. So I know a lot of people, and I bought it before, there's like the Tessame, there's, um, I forgot the other name of the, I have actually found, um, uh, I don't really like dressing anymore. Is that crazy? That is like, I was addicted. I mean, my salad used to swim in dressing. I really ate dressing with, with some greens floating in it. That's how I used to eat salad. I like, you know, part of my, I like the way vegetables taste. I like them raw. I like them in their natural form. Um, there's something, believe it or not, if you put it down, and you, you will begin to taste the way the food tastes, the real flavor. But, um, but I have used the Tessames. I've used also um, Duke's mayonnaise that has no sugar in it. I've measured that out and used that in things. Um, I, don't, I don't often use too much dressing. Olive oil. Um, I'll use avocado for my fat. Um, Um, there's a follow-up to a previous question, Melissa, that says, do you ever eat at a table in a chair while on the phone? Yep. I do. Yes, I do. And in fact, sometimes like I have people that I'd be working with, like, oh, not if they're a newbie. I don't do it if someone's like a brand new looking to get abstinent person, right? But sometimes I have like fellows that I've been working on doing stuff with. And, um, and, and like the time that works for us is during my lunch break. And I'll be like, all right, let's, so let's have, let's have like some outreach call. Let's talk. And I say like, do you mind if I eat my lunch while we eat, while we talk? And it's like, nope, we can do that. Okay. So it's like a working lunch. I, yeah, I do eat. Um, I do. And actually one of the things I've been doing recently, that's been a big service, um, for me, um, my mom is 85. She's alone in Florida. I haven't seen her since February. Um, and she lives alone. So my mom and I FaceTime. I try to FaceTime my mom during dinner. And I'll eat my dinner so she's not eating alone. And she'll eat her dinner and we talk and eat. And I don't, that to me is not a problem, you know. Thank you very much. We are coming near the end of our time, but we 
do have time for maybe one more question. If someone has a burning desire, now's your moment. You can either send it privately to Lori via chat. You can raise your hand. You can wave at me wildly and see if I see you. I'm laughing at the worst mom ever name. That is hilarious. Oh, I didn't say. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll ask something just to close. Can you speak on the idea of right-sized enjoyment of nourishing foods that are not alcoholic foods? Wow, that's good. Yeah, so I definitely like my food. I, I enjoy my food. Um, but it's not, it's not an event. There's a different, you know, um, I like, I enjoy eating. I like to eat the, I like to eat the food I eat. I, I, um, but I don't, for me, I'm not like, other than like the purpose of showing people like, look, this is, this is what it can look like to eat abstinently. I'm not one that's like, I don't take pictures of my food and share, like, it's not sexy. It's not an event. That's just me. That's just me. You know, nothing wrong if that's how you feel. Um, but I do enjoy my food. I mean, my my kids laugh because I'm like, look at this rainbow that I get to eat. Like, I love my little tomatoes and my baby carrots and my celery and snap peas. And when I get like really good vegetables, I think they taste great. But it's not, it's very different from the way that I eat. Here, you know what? Here's how I know that it's not a problem, Amy. I look, I weigh and measure my food and it's on my plate. But back when I was eating cheese, my husband used to love to take from my plate and, and he would break off a piece of it and I would get hysterical. I'd be like, I waited, don't touch it. You know, and he would joke and say, but I love, I love yours, I want yours, right? If he took a carrot off my plate. I'm not hysterical, right? So I think that's the difference, right? I, I would I would give it to my kid. I'd give it to my husband. That's awesome. What a beautiful way to close today. Um, let me get to the script. In closing, as OA's responsibility pledge states, always to extend the hand and heart of OA to all those who share my compulsion. For this, I am responsible. Thank you all so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Melissa, so much for your, your time, your care, and your service in sharing your recovery. Thank you to everyone who asked questions, and thank you to everyone who just showed up to listen today. You do a service by adding to our fellowship and being here today. The recording from this will be posted at midhudsonoa.org slash podcasts probably by tomorrow. And our next um, series, uh, our next event in this series will be on December 13th for 12 Step Within. We are doing a panel discussion, three recovered overeaters, uh, compulsive overeaters speaking mm -hmm. on creating the fellowship you crave. We hope you will join us for that. And um, now to close, we are going to end with the serenity prayer. Please unmute and um, join us if you'd like. 
God, God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works if you can. Thank you all so much.